The following morning show interview includes a brief discussion about the possibility of the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade and what some of the possible consequences of that might be. This interview was recorded back on the 22nd of June. It was the very next day, the 23rd of June, that the U.S. Supreme Court, in fact, did overturn Roe v. Wade. And we welcome you to the Thursday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. Over the course of this month of June, which is Pride Month, we have been replaying a number of different interesting interviews from the morning show archives that touch on various uh, aspects of, of, of gay pride, uh, the gay experience, the gay community. And uh, today I'm so very, very pleased that we can have uh, in our studios Barbara F- uh, Farrar, who is executive director of the LGBT Center of southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, They build themselves on their website, and I think with good reason, a small yet mighty organization. And uh, they are working on several different fronts uh, in terms of community building, uh, safe zone training, and uh, advocacy. And uh, they are really a busy organization doing good in the community. And I'm so glad that we can have Bob Farrar uh, with us today on the morning show on this last day of Pride Month. Bob Farrar, we welcome you back to the morning show. Oh, thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's been too long. I'm really glad we can uh, have this conversation. So let's begin in very basic fashion by hearing a bit more about the LGBT Center of Southeastern Wisconsin, uh, when it was organized, and uh, sort of the primary facets of its mission. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The LGBT Center of Southeast Wisconsin, which is located in Uptown and Racine, serves Racine County, uh, Kenosha County, and Walworth County. And since we do a lot of our programming virtually, now we're all across the state and even in in other states as well. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) It is. Yeah. Founded in 2009, believe it or not. Uh, We own our own building and we're an anchor in the Uptown area. Um, The primary areas that we focus, because we are a very small organization, as you mentioned, two employees, a budget under $200,000. So we primarily focus on four main areas. Um, Mm -hmm. Advocacy. So that's an advocacy uh, role for uh, local, state, and national protections for the LGBTQ community, as well as advocacy for individuals. So, for example, if somebody is discriminated against in housing or jobs, uh, we ourselves are not lawyers, but we can refer people out. So we advocate for individuals in the community as well. We provide support groups. We have uh, seven active support groups, hopefully to be eight or nine this, this fall. Um, and those, again, we are not uh, therapists, so we do peer-to-peer um, support groups. Some are social groups. Uh, some get more into the meat of uh, what's going on in somebody's mental health or issues throughout the day. And um, a big piece of what we do is community building. Um, and although that sounds like events and parties, it's really, <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's also about bringing people together so that they can not feel isolated and feel like they're a part of a bigger community and feel um, like they're part of something bigger. And then lastly, you mentioned training. 
So this is really an LGBTQ awareness training. We call it Safe Zone, which is a term that a lot of universities have used. Um, and Safe Zone refers to a safe place in an organization um, where people can see a sticker or the person has been educated in terms of sexual orientation, gender identity, and a safe place to land. So mm. we do this for um, for corporations, for nonprofits, for churches, and for individuals. So um, this has really become kind of our flagship program this year uh, since we've been able to do it uh, virtually and as well as in person. Hmm. Have you done this kind of work ahead of becoming executive director of the LBGT uh, Center back in 2018? Uh, No. Uh, My background is actually in human resources, um, Hmm. and I've been a human resources professional for about 20 years. But I did work in a very large um, nonprofit that was a $5 million nonprofit uh, media arts organization in... um, in San Francisco, where I lived for 18 years. And in that role, I was um, uh, very active in the operations, the behind the scenes part of um, nonprofit administration. Wow. I can see how that might really uh, come in handy, that experience in HR, uh, when it comes to some of the work you do, especially what you mentioned about the advocacy on behalf of individuals who have perhaps experienced some kind of discrimination in their workplace. I should think that experience is richly beneficial to you. Yeah, it does come in handy, especially when we're working with organizations that might uh, be at risk of discrimination and are just wanting to bounce something off, or maybe somebody's coming out in the workplace um, as transgender or non-binary, and so we can we can coach a little bit. Again, not a not a lawyer, not no longer an HR professional, um, but we have I think some um, some good. Uh, Uh, We're a good place to bounce ideas off of. Very good. Well, we have lots to to cover. I think I actually want to start in kind of the the lighter area, not to imply that it isn't really, really important. But I want to start with this notion of community building. Mm -hmm. And I know that one of the things that just happened back on the 11th of, of June was an event called Pride Prom, which is just one example among many of the kind of events that you have helped to host and sponsor and oversee uh, towards this cause of community building. But let's uh, find out a little bit about what happened at Pride Prom on June 11th. And uh, I know it's not the first. Yes. And it's, it's um, uh, Pride is the, the full month of June. And prom is something that typically happens for us when we do a youth prom in the, in April. Mm. Well, back in January, we had to kind of figure out what our <laughs> event schedule was going to be. And with COVID restrictions, we thought, well, maybe we want an outdoor event. So it pushed us into June. But pride prom is really a thing. Like pride proms are all over the country. Right. Um, and so we decided that we wanted to do an adult prom and a youth prom side by side, knowing that there are some inherent risks with that. But if we manage it beautifully, like we did, then it becomes this wonderful intergenerational celebration of prom, which a lot of us never had mm. um, as LGBTQ people, especially if we're in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Right. And so this event happened um, behind Festival Hall right on Lake Michigan uh, in downtown Racine. So the lake was right there. Mm. Two tents separated by a dance floor for our drag show, which is mm. our primary <laughs> program. We had four wonderful, wonderful performers. And so on the youth side, they won raffle tickets. They got they had fake money they were giving to the drag performers. Um, we had over 100 youth 
at the event and somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 80 adults. So almost 200 people at this event. Mm -hmm. It was phenomenal. And people dressed however they wanted, which is how you can always come to one of our events. But we had people in tuxedos and and we had an astrology theme. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, you know, uh, celestial beings there, you might say. Um, And it was just really fun. We had some tarot card readers. It was just very light, um, wonderful event. Oh, that sounds just terrific. It's kind of interesting to think about, of course, uh, I mean, I'm 62. I don't know. I don't think you're 62. But but we are of a certain age where we remember what the typical high school was like back when we were in high school. And it would be a place uh, and a setting where an event like prom would, I mean, with very few exceptions, I should think, be receptive to the idea of of two young men or two young women attending the prom together uh as as a couple, I mean, and I should think nowadays, uh, while by no means is that welcome everywhere with open arms, it's probably something that uh, is more common than it once was. Uh, so given that, do you feel like an event like the Pride Prom serves a different function than it would have once upon a time when it would be would have been unthinkable in most places for two women or two men to attend together? Uh, and now that probably can happen. So what is the place of Pride Prom then in in, in, the, in this world? Yeah, I think you're right, because some of the people, some of the young people who went to our Pride Prom also went to their high school's um, prom, um, whether they went with a same-sex couple or maybe they identify as non-binary or trans. Um, that's, you know, I, I don't know. But uh, the important piece here, I think, is that they can be themselves among others who are themselves, whereas mm. if they just go to their high school, it might be them and a few friends that are maybe on the fringe a little bit or not feeling quite as welcome because, like you said, there are certain norms that go along with a sure. with a prom event. Or, at, in, le- or, or at the very least feeling self-conscious. Right. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> even even if at least the majority of people, in fact, are welcoming of them, that doesn't mean you don't necessarily feel like you are something different from most of the people there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And for most everybody there, for the youth, a lot of them, it was their first prom. And for many of the adults, it was their first prom, too. And so there were some tears um, mm. and lots and lots of excitement. Um, and so when we gave away some raffle prizes to the youth, it was very specific to empowering them. For example, um, gift certificate to a place where they could go buy makeup. Or if uh, somebody was um, trans, um, there was a raffle prize for a binder so that young people can wear a binder to uh, young trans boys or, or masculine identifying young people uh, can um, wear a, a, a bra-like item that that um, kind of pre- camouflages their breasts. It's mm-hmm. the best way to put it, I guess. Yeah. And makes them feel more whole. Uh-huh. And so these kind of prizes were were chosen very much with the young people in mind who would be attending this event and things that they might welcome and find 
helpful to their own personal journeys. Then. Yeah, as as well as having a couple of the youth stand up and actually speak in front of the entire group and talk about what it means to be LGBTQ at this time. What are some of the great parts about being open in 2022 and what are some of the challenges that they have? So, And some of those folks were in our youth, youth group, which happens weekly, um, every Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. So we have some people that have been a part of our youth groups and some of our art crafts nights for youth as well. Very good. What are some of the other things that go on at the LGBT Center when it comes to this matter of community building? Um, in terms of community building, we will be having a, um, uh, a few more events this year. We've got um, on June 26th, we have a Racine Pride Day. And everybody is familiar with typical pride events. Like Kenosha has an amazing um, pride and it's a parade that's happening uh, July 10th. That's Sunday at noon. Uh, Milwaukee has a pride. Um, so rather than try and, um, uh, you know, compete with some, some of these organizations that have been doing this so long and doing it so well, our uh, June uh, Pride Day is very different. We gather with a microphone and we share stories and we talk about what's happening politically. It's a motivational uh, opportunity. It's a, a way to meet new people. And actually, some of our greatest um, uh, supporters of the center and people who've been engaged have found out about us through this this event and this wow. forum. I love that idea. Yeah. And I love the idea of, of, of doing your own thing and doing something, in a sense, distinctive from other things that are already happening that you don't need to try to compete with. Yeah, exactly. Also a different kind of event. And, and the history of this is that it actually was started, I'm not quite sure what year, but by Tony Larson, who mm. is um, the uh, minister of Olympia Brown Universalist Unitarian Church um, back in the day. And I believe there was some guitar playing and singing, and but very much along the support of human rights and social justice issues that, uh, that he and that church represent. I was going to say that I'm not the least bit surprised to hear that uh, Tony Larson would have uh, been behind the creation of a lovely event like that. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking today with Barb Farrar, Executive Director uh, since 2018 of the LGBT Center of Southeastern Wisconsin, which uh, serves the LGBT uh, communities of uh, Racine County, Kenosha County, and Walworth County uh, as well. Um, one of the things that uh, the center is involved in uh, is training and something that you like to call safe zone training, uh, which we touched on very, very briefly. But I would love to hear more about uh, what this entails, and in particular, uh, the kind of places or for whom uh, this training is done. Yeah, absolutely. As a small organization, we have to be very careful to um, not not mission creep or to Mm. spread ourselves too thin. And so one of our core pillars, you might say, is, is the training that you referenced. And why we do this is because we feel that the, one of the most impactful ways that we can um, create a more positive culture for our LGBTQ people and our allies is through education. And so by reaching allies or maybe even non-allies and, and doing uh, a presentation, a deep dive on sexual orientation and gender identity so that they can better understand what it means to be LGBTQ. What is that experience? And trying to put themselves in the body of that person. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what would happen if my gender identity didn't match my biological sex? 
which is what happens to trans and non-binary people. And when you start to think about that, when you think about misgendering, when you think about somebody using the incorrect pronouns on a daily basis or creating a hostile environment where you are uh, not valued or your experience is not appreciated, um, can lead to horrible outcomes. So that's one of the reasons why we do this training. And a big shout out to um, my coworker, David Ulrich. Um, David's been with us about a year now, and he has taken our Safe Zone training to a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's been um, uh, presenting at national conventions or Midwest conventions for the National Guard. Um, mm-hmm. We've done training for the Health Department of Lake County, uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering, um, multiple churches, uh, several corporations, lots of nonprofits in the area. So, and this is, um, this is, because I think our training is so good, we've gotten calls from all over the country to do this, this work. Wow. And it's, um, like I said, I, you can tell I'm very proud of this and, uh, and I think it's really important work. So we do charge for that. However, if there's um, an individual who would like uh, training, then there's a free training um, the second Monday of every month from mm. 5.30 to 7 on Zoom. So you can go to our website, which is lgbtsewi.org, and look under Programs, Safe Zone uh, Training, and you can sign up there. Yeah. What typically prompts, for instance, a company like or an entity like the Lake County Health Department uh, to want to do this, to want to engage uh, in this kind of training. I mean, typically schedules are already full to the brim, and so it seems to me a company really is making a concerted decision to do something like this. Typically, what is the motivation, would you say? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it comes from a variety of, of um Uh, areas, I think. One of which is, hey, it's Pride Month. What are we doing to celebrate Pride (laughs) Month? Which is why our phone rings off the hook for the entire month of June. Um, That's one. Um, But more seriously, I think it often bubbles up from an organization. And maybe it's an individual that has an experience um, and that wants to really help the organization be more supportive. It comes from HR or from maybe leadership or a manager saying, hey, we could probably do some things better through some education. And let's call the LGBT Center Southeast Wisconsin and see if they can work with us on that. Um, I think those are the two primary reasons. Another thing that's happening in, in organizations is uh, ERGs, employee resource groups, which are um, advocacy groups within an, a corporation, typically a larger organization. And they stem around like race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, ability. And, um, and often uh, you can have three or four different ERGs and they're a group of employees that are really trying to make their organization better. So it's kind of Mm. bubbling up from within, which is a beautiful way to create change in an organization. Right. So you might have several employees for whom this is a a burning concern for one reason or another. uh, And then uh, it is they who kind of advocate for the company or the agency or whatever it might be uh, as a whole to take this seriously and to in a sense, move the needle in terms of bringing people up to speed on on, on, on how to handle some of these uh, issues that can be really, really difficult. Yeah. And by and large, do you find people receptive and grateful for this kind of training? Almost always, yeah. They may not always agree or understand, but typically, you know, you can um, you can hear something 
Uh, you can learn about somebody who's different, and that's impactful. But when it comes to a friend or family member who comes out to you that you weren't expecting, mm. and now you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table or you know a softball game or whatever, it's now is uh, the time that change really occurs because you've had that foundational training. It's not out of the blue, and now you're meeting somebody who's important to you, and that's when the real change happens. Mm. <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm reminded of what you said about your own background that you worked for almost 20 years uh in San Francisco. And that just makes me wonder a little bit about what it's like to live and work in a city like San Francisco, which of course has quite a long tradition of which they should be proud of of being uh so open to the to the gay community and the gay experience and of course uh all kinds of important uh, landmark figures have emerged from San Francisco to go from a place like that to a place that in a sense is a little more run of the mill uh, where probably across the board throughout the community there is not quite that same sense of openness and or understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder for instance for you what kind of a challenge was it for you to move from a place like San Francisco to a place like Racine? Sure, sure. Well, growing up in Iowa, I feel like I had that kind of Midwest sensibility (laughs) and then went to the West Coast. Where were Um, you in Iowa? In Ames. That's where I grew up. Okay. Yeah. And so when, um, when I first came, I made a lot of assumptions about just the culture. Like, well, of course I can walk down the street holding hands with my partner and have no problems. Like, I made some kind of uh, naive assumptions about what was accepted and slowly kind of learned. Um, Growing up, well, (laughs) growing up, I did kind of grow up, so to speak, in San Francisco. And there were so many amazing, powerful leaders for the, not just the queer community, but for, um, for, uh, religious rights, uh, racial justice, um, just all different walks of life. And I just observed the power of the people in my community, my neighbors, and, and, you know, you'd meet somebody and find out that they had published all these books on really important social justice issues. And so for me, I was just like following in their footsteps, just kind of like soaking it up. And it had. You'd ask me if I'd ever done this work before. No, and I hadn't because there were other people doing it so beautifully. Mm. But to come to a place that um, that was an opportunity for me to to be able to share that part of myself was really a gift. And mm. so Southeast Wisconsin, in that respect, has been really, really welcoming and supportive of of um, bringing that skill set to the area. Very good. As you're talking about uh, this training, I'm reminded of of a kind of an embarrassing example from my own life. Uh, I have a a younger brother, Steve, who is gay, and uh, he very gently pointed out to me uh, a few months ago that almost always when I referred to his husband, Scott, I referred to his partner, Scott, because, of course, for a long time they were partners, but not husband and husband not married uh, because uh, it wasn't possible to be married. And then, of course, it did become possible to be married, and they were married. And so uh, Scott is Steve's husband. But uh, I am inadvertently probably to this day still calling him Steve's partner. 
And uh, I appreciated that my brother was so gentle uh, in in this correction. Uh, but it also kind of pointed out to me that probably a lot of us walk around all the time making those kind of fairly innocent mistakes, but nevertheless mistakes that shouldn't be made. And I should think that part of what the training you're, you're, you're talking about sort of points to this and, and to those kind of inadvertent errors that, uh, in a sense, after a while can be, can be hurtful or can come off as disrespectful. And there's probably a lot that many of us have to learn about this. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think there's a reason why some people go to the training more than once. Because <laughs> <laughs> it really does have to sink in. You know, one of those examples is when um, when people are using pronouns, they might say my preferred pronouns are, which, you know, grammatically sounds correct. But if you truly identify uh, your your gender identity doesn't match your biological sex and you are it's not a preferred pronoun. It is your pronoun. Mm. So there are those kind of nuances in language that we do go through in the in the training. Interesting. Yeah. We're speaking with Barb Farrar, executive director of the LGBT Center of Southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, and I know you have, as you mentioned earlier, an array of support groups that are also uh, part of, of what you do. I should think this is also something that maybe the, the nature of these support groups perhaps has, have changed over the years and, and in a sense the necessity for them is maybe different than it once was. I mean, once upon a time there was probably no such thing in most places. And, and of course, now there are all kinds of opportunities uh, for this. What do you see as the most important function of these support groups and what kind of support are they offering to those who attend? Sure. I think it's a sense of community and um, and feeling like your experience, like there's somebody else in our community that is having a similar experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, we have a transgender and non-binary group that meets weekly. And if if you know someone who has come out as trans or is in the process of determining that, it's not every single person's experience is very different. So, for example, some people might just do what we call a social change, which is change their clothes, change their name, and um, you know maybe how they walk, so how they express to the world. Other people may want to go more of a medical change. Um, so that might include um, either hormone blockers or... Um, uh, sorry, puberty blockers or hormones um, or even surgery or, or a legal name. So there's, mm. you know, you might want to just change your driver's license and, and all of your medical records and um, personal data so that it reflects your gender identity. So if you are going down this journey, it is really, really painful and isolating to do it by yourself. So we get calls from people like, how do I do my name change? Or how do I, you know, how do I come out? And and what does that look like? So the support group for trans and non-binary people is really important. So that's just one example. But our youth group is kind of similar, too, because um, they're in their, uh, the the group is for 14 to 18-year-olds. And that's a very, very important part in a young person's life. Because you truly are defining who you are, you have certain likes, you you like to do certain things, you may have a certain style or look or sense of humor that your family may or may not get. But if your family doesn't get it, you can really feel like you're on an island. So finding other people you really connect with is key. Um, And so in terms of the whole list of support groups, we have um, a spirituality group, which... um, 
is really a non-denominational group. It's it's led by a former pastor, minister, who's phenomenal. And uh, so people can just talk about religion and, and where do queer people fit into that. Um, we have a parenting group, which is also mm-hmm. really important. So when we talk to a family that has uh, a young person coming out, immediately we try and get the young person into the support group so they can feel accepted and welcome and get the parent into both our safe zone training so they have the vocabulary to talk to their young person as well as to meet other parents that are going on that journey of um, being the most accepting person they can be. Uh, we also have a elder group, which meets every other Saturday, um, and that's 50-plus, and that's a wonderful group. And believe it or not, that's the group that wants to meet in person more than any other group. And so <laughs> currently our groups are still virtual, but that group is like, when do we get to come in person? So mm. hoping in July we can make that happen. Wow. And lastly, we have a queer book club, which is um, a monthly uh, meeting on Zoom, and we read we read um, books that are important, primarily non nonfiction, that talk about the intersectionality of of race, uh, national origin, and sexual orientation, gender identity, and so it's been a really wonderful, wonderful uh, experience to read these great authors. Mm, terrific. Um, talking about uh, virtual support groups, of course, brings up the specter of COVID. And, of course, that was uh, such a rude interruption to so many worthwhile things going on. Uh, Just describe what COVID did to the operation of the LGBT uh, Center of Southeastern Wisconsin. And and, uh, how did you carry on uh, in the wake of that when that all descended in the spring of 2020? Yeah, I'm not alone when I when I say it was extremely stressful and very uh, challenging to navigate. As a nonprofit, of course, you want to keep your doors open, but we know that the LGBTQ community experienced COVID rates at higher um, higher incident rates mm. than the overall population, and more susceptible uh, due to some other health issues that is inherent in the LGBTQ community. So, for the safety of our community, we shut our doors, like many people did, and we kept them shut for quite some time. We found um, sh- quickly that we were able to do virtual support groups using Zoom, and in fact, our numbers for the attendance for support group went up. Mm. Quite quite a bit. Wow. And a lot of those groups, the numbers are still uh, maintained. So mm. it's a beautiful thing. And now we've got people from out of state attending these groups. Um, again, financial concerns were, were real. Uh, you can't have a fundraiser in COVID. Mm. I mean, we tried to, but um, they were a lot smaller. But we had some um, local organizations, foundations, individuals um, come through and really help us get through that period, which were you know, eternally grateful for. Hmm. Now that, um, I mean, people are still getting COVID. We all know people. And in some cases, it's like the rise is, it's it's peaking again. But at the same time, I think we're managing it in ways that are um, helpful and educated. And um, so we're opening the doors. We've been open for about nine months, a few days a week. Again, in July, we're going to open those doors for for more people at for longer days, uh, longer times. But I think what, to your point specifically, what we saw was a shock in terms of people just not coming into the center. We had a lot of walk-ins um, and people just coming into the center to be. 
So it, we took the opportunity to remodel the center, which was fun. Mm. Um, so it's a completely new looking and feeling place. And I think it's even more welcoming than it was before. Very good. We're speaking with Barb Farrar, who is executive director of the LGBT Center of Southeastern Wisconsin. I do want to make sure before we run out of time to ask you about the work that is done in Walworth County. Uh, because, uh, you know, I, I, when, when I think of the LGBT Center, I immediately think of your specific headquarters in Racine and I think of the outreach uh, to Kenosha and so on. And Walworth County, of course, demographically is a very, very different place. Uh, and, uh, and there's certainly a significant need for what you have to offer there, but it is a, it is a different population than either Kenosha or Racine counties and certainly very different than the cities of Kenosha and Racine. Can you just uh, say a word about uh, the kind of difference that you are trying to make or hope to make in Walworth County specifically? Yeah, so because of because we're only two people and Kenosha and Racine keep us very very busy. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we we create an umbrella over Southeast Wisconsin. Um, I hope to be more intentional about um, working with the municipalities and the county the way we do with Racine and Kenosha. Um, but we are available to uh, anyone you know, in Southeast Wisconsin, throughout the state, and in other states for our resources. So we, um, we primarily want people to know that we're here for them. I want to be sure that we have uh, time to talk about this important piece, uh, namely advocacy, that is also such an important part of, of what you are doing. And as you said at the outset, it's advocacy that kind of happens on a couple of different levels or two different kinds of canvases. Let's let's talk first a, a bit more about the smaller canvas. That is, when somebody comes to you as an individual with something that uh, they have experienced and they need your help. Uh, first of all, what would be the most typical kind of example of of something that happens that brings somebody to your door, either f- physically, literally, or virtually, uh, in in search of advocacy help? Yeah, it is typically um, typically an issue of uh, of homelessness or risk of being homeless, hmm. and that often occurs because somebody is trans. Uh, to some degree openly gay or lesbian, but have been kicked out um, either of their family home or um, not welcome in a group home or um, maybe uh, recently released from prison. Um, And there are a lot of trans people in jail, uh, a higher uh, proportion. And so those folks have a really hard time when it comes to acclimating back into the community. Um, the sad part is that we don't have a lot of answers for that. We can send people to our local shelters, and our shelters are often at capacity. But we work with uh, both Shalom Center and Halo in terms of making sure that if they have any issues with uh, how to handle a trans person uh, in their facility, that they know they can reach out to us. Mm. Um, but it's it's really sad to see that. Um, there's also a discrimination around housing. Uh, somebody may uh, not get their lease renewed or um, suddenly got an eviction notice because they are gay, lesbian, hmm. trans, non-binary. So those are some of the bigger issues. And, and my understanding is then 
you you have connections with certain legal teams or, or, or lawyers, attorneys uh, who can step in and try to work on their behalf to, yeah. to, to rectify uh, uh, this kind of injustice. Yeah, and that's both within the city of Racine and Kenosha, but also with um, with Legal Action of Wisconsin, which is a phenomenal nonprofit that does um, uh, some amazing work for people in housing, and um, they do a variety of, of um, legal work often pro bono, depending on the case. Right. And I should think this is so gratifying uh, to know that you're at least a a part of the solution uh, for some of these uh, issues that come up for people. To the larger canvas of advocacy, and of course, in in some respects, I I should think the urgency of this, it feels like it's ratcheting up a bit. For whatever reason, uh, it seems like uh, the, the overall climate of our country is not quite as hospitable to the gay community as as it had been. Um, first of all, what, to what do you attribute this kind of shift and, and some of what we're seeing right now? Um, can we explain that? Uh, if I were to take a guess, I would say a lot of it's political. Um, I think it is definitely along party lines in a lot of cases. And I also think that there is a... Um, People are are taking liberties to express hate, and often that's what we're talking about, mm-hmm. um, um, in ways that historically has not been, um, or at least in recent times, has not been allowed or permitted. Um, and so it is a backlash for sure. And um, so just for example... I think last year, 340 anti-LGBT bills came out of dif- different states. That's phenomenal. Wow. Hmm. And so it's really become a state issue. And pr- a lot of these are hitting our young people. So it's um, trans people, trans trans youth not being able to compete on the team, their, the sports team of their identity, uh, denying families, um, the ability to provide health care services in terms of puberty blockers or hormones um, for young people. Uh, not It's really around parental rights, uh, mm. determining what is acceptable for an LGBT pers- youth. So if a, if a youth and their parents don't see eye to eye, that's where the real issues can occur. And that's when you're going to get some of these astronomical health disparities, mental health disparities, uh, homelessness, uh, uh, crisis-type situations that I think most of us have heard about. Hmm. I know that something else that you are watching with great care is uh, the debate revolving around Roe v. Wade and whether or not Roe v. Wade will ultimately uh, be overturned. And, um, you know, that wouldn't I think to to some of us it wouldn't immediately occur to us that this is something of direct uh, relevancy to what we're talking about today. But, in fact, it is. Explain what the connection is, why uh, you you have concerns about Roe v. Wade being overturned. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, one of our uh, core principles is to protect um, gender. And many of us are women. (laughs) Half the world are women. And uh, to... Uh, so part of being an LGBT person is to look at through an intersectional lens, right? Mm. So to support people of different races and ethnicities, gender, um, and to have the right of a, of a woman to make the decision about her body is also, in my opinion, an LGBT issue. 
Um, but there, but it goes beyond that too, because many LGBTQ people um, find healthcare through organizations like Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood also provides um, uh, contraception and abortion to LGBT people, um, and they also um, help with. Uh, they have uh, in-person and telehealth programs to dispense hormones uh, to LGBT trans people or to trans people. Huh. So those services are really, really critical. Um, and also many lesbians or um, women use IVF in terms of getting pregnant. So the options for same-sex partners to become parents biologically would be impacted by this decision, we think. Mm. Again, this you know the decision hasn't come out, um, and uh, we are still kind of wondering what that impact will be, but this is what some of the experts are saying. Right, and I, I, think, I think what you're saying is that uh, should Roe v. Wade be overturned, that very likely would have a dramatic impact, for instance, on Planned Parenthood, would very likely dramatically alter what that organization is, what it can do, what it can offer, including some of these other matters that aren't even directly related to Roe v. Wade, but this could be an unintended consequence. Absolutely. And it's possible by the time this program airs that that decision is even out. So we're kind of waiting for that. Interesting. Yeah. So when it comes to advocating for particularly protection of, of the gay community, uh, it, it, that is really important work, but also difficult work. Um, so what would be a couple of the most important ways in which uh, you and others are working on this advocacy front, on this big canvas. Yeah. Advocacy work is, is critical to change. And because we know that a lot of these decisions are not what the population believes, that they, and that's part of the reason why I say it's political. Mm. Um, in, in other words, it's, if you took a poll in many of these places where these things are being passed, it is not reflective of what the general population wants, but it is maybe politically expedient for maybe the legislatures to, to, to be enacting these, these, these measures. Yeah, yeah. And so our organization has created an advocacy group called RAISE. And this is a committee that we are putting together um, because we want to mobilize people in advance of some of these decisions so that we can be very targeted and specific with a response and that we can um, have direct impact um, in sharing our voice when some of these decisions may occur. So... Um, it's, it's a new organization for us, and advocacy is um, something that I am very passionate about. And um, we are uh, continuing to work with community partners like Kenosha Pride and uh, the Milwaukee Center um, to, and organizations like Planned Parenthood and the Human Rights Commission uh, and other organizations to, to spread the word and to try and make a difference. Hmm. I think a lot of people were astonished that so much of the American population seem to open their minds and their hearts to same-sex marriage as soon, as quickly as they did. I'm just curious what your thoughts are about that. Uh, I mean, about how that occurred, how rapidly it seemed to occur, 
although I'm sure not rapidly enough for those who are you know, waiting for it to happen. But nevertheless, in the grand scheme of things, I think most people would agree that it happened far sooner than anybody would have ever imagined it would. I'm just curious on your thoughts about that and to what extent that is a source of hope when it comes to continuing to build a, 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 a more just and, 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 and safe world for, for the gay community. Yeah. So when same sex became legal, it was, it was, we were floored. Um, Members of the LGBTQ community were as surprised as anyone. It did seem to happen um, kind of not out of the blue, but we didn't know that decision was coming as quickly. But I think it's a testament to how, um, how media has portrayed LGBT people in a positive light. And how people have come out, come out to their families. If you pull young people, uh, one of the most important things to them is um, equity. Mm. And, you know, equity along race lines, homophobia, uh, um, LGBT rights. And so we're dealing with a very different uh, demographic of people. Mm. And so I should think that the fact that that changed as it did so dramatically uh, – I, I should think it gives you hope that uh, as as you kind of deal with this backlash and with kind of this uh, emergence of, of so many measures across the country, uh, that, uh, that this is also something that can be curbed, it can be dealt with, uh, overcome. Uh, are you optimistic in that respect? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I do fear that um, uh, same-sex marriage is at risk of being overturned by the Supreme Court. Um, I want to be optimistic that it won't be uh, because I know so many families that have children that really need the legal protections of marriage, uh, whether it's job, housing, uh, parental rights, um, health care decisions. Mm. Uh, estate planning, all of these really, really critical pieces are we have started to take for granted. Mm. And I think it would be a horrible decision if that were overturned. I don't think it will be, but I think there's 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 some risks there. Right. Uh, much of what I've read has shared the same concerns, but also come down on that ultimate conclusion that it it is not so likely, not as likely as, for instance, Roe v. Wade. Uh, for for the other matter uh, to be overturned. But, uh, of course, time will tell. And in the meantime, uh, all of this important advocacy work goes on uh, here and, and across the country. If there are people who want to be of help to the LGBT Center of Southeast Wisconsin, uh, what are some ways in which uh, ordinary citizens can, can be helpful to you? Sure. They can um, be educated. Through our training programs, they can um, advocate for their young people uh, who might be LGBT. They can uh, voice their opinion in, in school boards, uh, common councils, uh, letters to the editor. They can always make a donation to the center. We would never say no to that. Um, <laughs> but just really being vocal. I think for, for many people, they've been silent and it's really time to stand up for people who are marginalized, um, whether that be around race, religion, ethnicity, ability status, sexual orientation, gender identity. Uh, we could really use some help right now. Right. It's not a time to be silent or complacent. Right. 
Barb Farrar is executive director of the LGBT Center of Southeastern Wisconsin. Barb, it's been great to catch up with you and to hear your thoughts on all of these important issues and matters. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for uh, the good that you are doing in the community. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.